0: Listening to the Arise Church Podcast. We are an Acts 29 church in Ventura, California, where we exalt Christ, embrace community, and engage culture. Find out more info or hear more sermons at our website, ariseventura.com. Thanks for listening.
1: One of the things we underestimate the most often is the power of story. We underestimate the power of story. We recently uh, discovered, though, that in the book of Acts, God is writing and telling and revealing a story. And he's doing so by the use of a kind of repetition in ways to bring us to seeing these scenes where we can see these repeated scenes of what he's up to. And then it calls us into recognizing the picture that he's painting, the story that he's telling, is one that is for his glory. It's meant to grab our attention, though, that there's repetition, uh, repetition. And it's not only God kind of building this repetition. Luke, the author of the book of Acts, employs repetition in his writing intentionally. And he gives us one, uh, at least one repeated theme throughout the entire book of Acts. Let's be reminded that Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, which is what we're walking through in our Unstoppable series, was a book that was written by a man named, named Luke who was a physician in the world working, right? And that was his role, but he wrote to his friend Theophilus to reveal to him what the works of Jesus were and the continuation of the mission of God in the world through Jesus, his spirit, and his church. There was a second book. The first one is called The Gospel of... Luke, if you didn't know. So Luke wrote Luke, and he also wrote Acts. And this was a second story. It is a narrative that was written to Theophilus. The thing about narratives and stories, like the gospel and like the book of Acts, is that we have to actually remember that there's a story being told. Unlike the authors of epistles or some of the other letters Um, And historical books in your Bible, biblical story writers are not always remembered. They themselves, the authors, the story itself sometimes becomes a little bit obscure once the story passes from generation to generation. Think about the Christmas cards that you received this year. Maybe you got one from a family or a friend that came from maybe even you haven't talked to them in a year or so or heard much from them. You probably read story about what their year was like. Some of the challenges, there's also some of the wins. You saw maybe some pictures of children, some growth. You heard about the stories of what's happening and what may be happening in the future, what they're hopeful for. They said, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Now imagine that somebody found that card in the year 4022. Your name And the author's name might be this very obscure detail and it wouldn't mean that much. But if it was written with clarity, you know what that person would know right away? Whatever the author's intent was, why did they write the story in the first place? Why did they write that card? That's what we have to remember when we come to the book of Acts. Biblical writers make their intent and their purpose known in various ways. And here's what Luke decided to do. He made explicit comments along the way throughout both of his books he gave us background information he revealed the intentions of people's hearts because of course hindsight is 20 20 and things would have happened that revealed the story to him further he described the settings he did all these things he went into real detail in order to ensure that his message was guarded and presented clearly and faithfully for generations to come you guys still following me i told you what this is all right So you've got to be following because it's not going to make sense when we get to the end if we can't do the Bible study, the theology on the beginning. All right. Both the gospel and Luke, I'm sorry, gospel of Luke and Acts are rich in these allusions to the Old Testament. And it's telling a story even beginning with Old Testament items about the life of Jesus in line with the Old Testament story. Luke has been showing us who God is and what he's doing and what he is up to in the world. It's one grand story, a meta-narrative. It's the larger big picture of the story of redemption that has God at the center. It begins with the Old Testament. It begins with an old covenant. It begins back with God, and it climaxes in the Messiah, the Lord Jesus, who came in flesh, and we know him as Jesus the Christ. Luke was writing to let us know that that work continues through the spirit and through the church. That there was a promised Messiah that came to a people, one group of people. And when Christ came on the scene, he expanded the perspectives on that. And he even catapulted his work, his global work to save the world out through the spirit of Jesus, and it's carried forward in a multi-ethnic church, a people of all peoples, not just in one social location, but to the ends of the earth. Luke is showing that there's really only one story. He wants us to understand the story. He wants us to know who God is, what he's doing, and he wants us to find our place in it. There's a man named Alan Thompson. I read some of his commentary this week. He described the book of Acts this way. The name of the book is the Acts of the Risen Lord Jesus. Luke's account of God's unfolding plan. He says the main concern of the author Luke for his readers is that we would see what God is doing in the narrative. How God is accomplishing his purposes and how we may embrace and identify with these purposes. And in doing so, glorify God, the God of the biblical story. Luke wants his readers to see that God is accomplishing his unstoppable mission in the world through Christ's kingdom. And he wants Theophilus and you and I to find our place in it. One of the ways he does this is through summary statements. Luke's summary statements in the book of Acts are not a small thing. He gives us these summary statements various throughout the book. They help move the story along and they highlight this unstoppable work of Jesus through his people. In a word, what Luke is repeatedly showing is there is momentum. No matter what's going on, there's momentum. Even in the midst of tension and opposition, the Word of God continues to prevail, the Spirit of God continues to prevail, the Church of God continues to prevail. The church increases. The gospel advances. And this is meant to give us hope. Especially hope in times where maybe, maybe you may be distracted by tension, opposition, other things in life that may grab you or suck you in to focusing there. When he wrote to Theophilus, he gave him a thesis statement in Acts chapter one and verse eight. Does anybody remember it? He said, but you will have power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and he says, so that you could do what? What Matt just talked about on his job. So that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem first, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The reason why Jesus left the, the Spirit to the church, and the reason why... We exist is because we are to be witnesses to the end of the earth. And you, I'm uh, sorry, Luke used summary statements in order to be able to capture the momentum of that and to help us to see how God had begun to accomplish that and for us to find hope in the fact that He's not stopping. Does that make sense? You see, the reason why some of this is important is because sometimes we can stand up here, and I'm talking about we preachers. We stand up here and we say all kinds of things and wow everybody and get all excited, get you all feeling good We you walk out. You don't understand what the Bible is about. And you know what the problem with that is? Then you don't understand your place in the Bible. You don't understand your place in the story. And so that's the reason why we're stagnant and we don't experience the momentum, even when God is up to something. And so the reason why we spend time doing this is because This is important for your and my walk. And I think that coming into 2023, God wants us to pay attention to the fact that there is momentum. When Luke used these summary statements in Acts, he was helping us to understand that there was success of the gospel in Jerusalem. That's up to chapter eight, which is where we are now. Then he goes on and he starts describing Judea and Samaria. Then he describes from Samaria to the Syrian Antioch up to about Acts 15. Then he goes in Cyprus and Crete and Galatia and Asia, Macedonia, and He goes all the way to Rome by the time you get to Acts chapter 28. And you know why he's doing that? Because Jesus said, you're going to receive power to be my witnesses to the end of the earth. And Luke wrote to his friend Theophilus and said, it's happening. Yeah. It's happening. And like I told us before, if the gospel was going to get from Galilee to Goleta, we needed the Holy Ghost. Right. <laughs> and so God gave us the Holy Ghost for that reason, though. Do we understand the reason why we have the spirit and power is to be witnesses? In our study thus far, he's been outlining the success of the gospel in Jerusalem. I'll just give you four of the summary statements in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47. We see that the church is born after Peter's Pentecost sermon, and there's a baptism of about 3,000 souls. Summary statement there. Last first Sunday, Acts 4, 32 to 37, after the believers prayed for boldness in the face of persecution, he tells us that the church continued to grow. In our gospel communities, we looked at Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5, and then right after that, he summarizes and said, "But the church continued to grow." Acts 5:42 would essentially be where we are today, and I have my Bible app open to it here. If you have yours, you can look down with me at Acts chapter five, verse forty-two. It says, "And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus." That was a summary statement. That was Luke grabbing our attention with repetition to remind us the story is unfolding and there is momentum. This is the type of summary statement that Luke regularly provided throughout the book of Acts in order to highlight the momentum of the gospel and the kingdom and the growth through the church. Now, when Luke described the growth of the church, he regularly mentioned two pairs of dynamic forces on the one side. He talked about internal growth and tension. On the flip side, he talked about external growth and opposition. And he talks about the relationship of these individually to each other and also as pairs to one another. Internal growth is the positive effects of the gospel within Christian community. We might say that this is the quality of the growth, the maturity that's happening, spiritual maturity of individuals and the church as a whole. And coupled with this, he would talk about the fact that among that Christian community would grow tension. Tension is the idea of problems, questions, controversies, doubts, struggles that occur within the church. And in the book of Acts, Luke regularly demonstrated that there was actually a reciprocal relationship between tension and internal growth. Mm-hmm. Internal growth led to tension. And tension led to internal growth. How do we grow? Well, it, uh, there's, we got CrossFit in the back, right? Some of us here lift weights and work out. You know it's the resistance that you feel that builds the muscle. Mm-hmm. I heard Matt speak about the fact that he is in a place to further trust God and his sovereignty through the ways in which he has had to grow over that time. I mean, he related to a conversation him and Carlos had back in 2019, but if you were picking up what he's putting down there, there's been growth, and it didn't come because he just read a bunch of books. Mm It came through opposition and some tension. The second pair of elements in Luke's structural pattern of church growth is external growth and opposition. I'm so glad that you guys are following me. I see you guys locked in, and this is a lot. (laughs) Internal growth, tension. External growth, opposition. When I say external growth, I have in mind that the church actually increased numerically. That would be more like the quantity of growth. right? So you got quality and maturity. Quality, uh, quantity is multiplication. It's what we all probably wish that we would see. You've been around here for three years or even one year or whatnot. You look around and you say, man, i see the same people. I wish that we were twice the size. I wish that we could do more. I wish we had more. Multiplication comes. And you know how that actually comes across the book of Acts. Opposition. Happy New Year. Mm. <laughs> opposition is conflict that frequently arose between the church and the unbelieving world as unbelievers reacted negatively to the gospel's message. Once again, there's this relationship between the two ideas and acts. You've got external growth that happens, and it sometimes leads to e- opposition. And you have opposition that happens, and it sometimes leads to external growth or multiplication. And Luke is just demonstrating for us that there is this reciprocal relationship even between the pairs. That internal growth and tension yield external growth and opposition. See, y'all followed me today, right? Internal growth and tension actually leads to external growth and opposition, this is the original pattern for church growth. So much for being secret friendly, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> this is the strategy. This is God's strategy. And as Luke is summarizing for us what's happening, he's explaining... That at every major turn, in every major real section in the book of Acts, it is depicting how the church matured and multiplied. How the church grew on the inside and also grew from without. And he is saying it spread through their witness, but it was not without tension. It was not without opposition. Can you just imagine the effect of actually reading this if you were the Theophilus or one of the first Christians? It's all over the news. This was not some mystical thing for just a few. Everybody knew that the grave was empty and there was a people of the way, people who were following the way of Jesus, who were saying some strange things. But all of a sudden, that number is growing by 3,000 at a time, 5,000 at a time. They're being imprisoned, all kinds of stuff. Can you imagine just the effect of actually receiving Luke's letter within about, within a generation of time? I'm talking 30 to 50 years that you'd actually be able to look down and say, Oh, this is what happened. I think they would have been. It would encourage the believers that were there that no matter how much tension came their way, or no how no no matter how terrible the the opposition was on the outside, that God is always working through the gospel, and I think they would have committed deeper to the gospel. I think that would have caused them to grow spiritually, internally. It would have matured, and I think at the same time. It would have contributed to their external growth. And I mean, honestly, I don't know. One day, fancy yourself. How many people do you think on the earth today are Christian? And how many do you think it's been for 2,000 years? And I think that exponential growth thing is, is like the proof of this. The fact that we're sitting in Ventura still talking about this same story, and the spirit of God is still empowering people, is, is the proof that God truly is faithful. And his witness to the ends of the earth is, is just unstoppable. I think they would have inclined the early Christians to read all of history, including current events, to discern the things that are happening in their own time, even through this paradigm of perspective. I wonder how much sense that makes right now. It would have assured them that if they remained faithful witnesses to Jesus and his kingdom. They would continue to see the growth of the gospel in the world. They would have saw the divine momentum. Momentum is the strength or force that something has when it is moving. It's a very basic definition. Al could give us a better one. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's the power to move forward. The word momentum is actually synonymous with movement. What I'm calling divine momentum is God created movement, which is an unstoppable force. You know what Acts chapter four and chapter five were trying to teach us that the force of the gospel cannot be stopped, but it can be maintained. It can even be sped up. Let me see if I can illustrate that very briefly. Think about Barnabas and then think about Ananias and Sapphira. One of them yielded to the Holy Spirit. Another said they lied to the Holy Spirit. The results, though, were the same. And Luke said it multiple times. The movement continued and it began to grow exponentially, even though at this time there was something that struck fear in the community. Because Ananias and Sapphira dropped dead because they were trying to divide the church. And then Barnabas was a person who did something unthinkable and gave everything away, right? He said at both times, there was what? Progress and momentum. Nothing stopped the church. Nothing stopped the spirit. The church matured and the church multiplied. God's church is still maturing and multiplying. Not without tension and opposition. Here's one of my favorite momentum scriptures. It was inscribed on a prayer book that one of my mentors gave to me about eight years ago. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58 says, stand firm, let nothing move you. I had to say this to myself three times this week. Stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that our labor in the Lord is not in vain. Now, let nothing move you. That means let nothing stop your momentum. Stand firm. It sounds motionless. But the original tense of the word is actually, this is a momentum word. This is about being committed to seeing what you stand for come to fruition. You're going to keep pushing. You're going to keep going. The idea here is that he said, never forget or never stop uh, fully committing yourself to the work of the Lord. The thing about momentum is that it's never an accident. So, you know, whereas I... You know, in past, like last year, we talked about sojourning, right? And that was kind of our word of the year, things like that. I just want to point you to what I see. This isn't necessarily like our vision 2023. The word is momentum for everybody, and go out and figure that out. I want to point you to, say, to the fact that there is momentum, okay? And the reason why I'm saying this is because momentum is never an accident, and, and you're invited to be a part of that. You're invited to, like, be a part of the momentum, uh, the forward progress. You're invited to mo- maintain the momentum, Here's how you maintain momentum. Choices, commitments, and priorities. I think what we should be asking at this point in, in Acts and at this point in our church and even at this point in the year, right? Happy New Year. Everybody has resolutions and things like that. What choices... What commitments, what priorities is God inviting me into? Does he want me to make that will give me more of his power to move forward? Give us as a church more of his power to move forward, more momentum. What priorities can I make? What commitments can I make? What choices do I need to make to even get to those? I think this is something for us individually and corporately. Now, individually, we may have a very different set of answers to that. But I'm thinking about how to shepherd our church together and corporately. I think it's pretty basic and fundamental. And I put it down for us in a couple categories here. For us, there's some basic answers to embrace in 2023. God wants us to embrace deeper the spiritual momentum, the social momentum, and the missional momentum that is present at Arise. Spiritual momentum, if you think about the fact that we are all meant to grow spiritually. He just didn't save you or maybe even give you an experience with God at the beginning of your walk with Him. He wants to progressively make you holy and like Him so that you would mature in Him. This comes through worship. This comes through prayer and fasting. This comes through holy living, an ongoing repentance. This is how we spiritually grow. Do not be content staying a baby Christian. No one should say, I got saved and that's it. (laughs) Everyone should be thinking about how to grow spiritually to become more and more like the Lord Jesus. And that takes those uh, worship, prayer, fasting, holy living, being in community, the, the kind of fundamentals. Spiritual momentum is actually maintained by choices and by commitments. Here's what I mean by choice. It takes an on-purpose choice to release spiritual momentum in your life. I guarantee you it won't just happen. It takes an on-purpose choice to release the kind of spiritual momentum where you say, wow, I mean, Jamie and I just talked to somebody who was in our church For a short period of time, we saw that person saved, baptized, born again, and then moved on to somewhere else. It's like when you talk to them now, it's like, wow, what has happened? But then they also testify to how committed they are to the church they are in another state, how they've just been committed to their uh, gospel community, how they've been committed to evangelizing and reading the word and so on and so forth. And when you look and you hear something like that, you realize, well, the reason why this person three years later, you feel like, who is this? This is a whole nother person is because they made a deliberate choice. It takes that. Choice is the power to willingly decide to do one thing rather than the other. Hey, would y'all agree that sometimes making a choice is the hardest part? Like choosing to do the thing and not the other thing, that's usually the hardest part. Can we just say that and be honest? I think we all, just like the Peters, the Barnabases, and even the Ananias and Sapphira's, we have to remember, though, that we have the power to make our choice. The thing is, is we've got to be able to live with the results of what those choices are. Once we use our choice, once we use our power to make a choice, the choices now have a little bit of power over us. And so at 2023, January, here's an opportunity for us all to say, hey, let me take inventory of the choices I've been making. Maybe make some different choices. When I think about my spiritual maturity and where I am, what can I do that might be different? What do I feel like God is calling me to do? Right? Make choices. Make choices. Make choices, friends, that are going (laughs) to propel you towards greater Christ-likeness. Make those choices. Make choices that are going to propel you forward. That you'll be uh, caught up into the spiritual momentum of the growth of the body of Christ. Make decisions that are going to drive your momentum towards greater faithfulness to Jesus. Secondly is commitment. It's maintained by commitment. Not only do you make daily choices, you got to make daily commitments to to fuel uh, momentum. Commitment says, I'm going to do what I chose to do. (laughs) Right? Mm-hmm. Commitment says, I'm going to do what I said I was going to do. I think sadly, uh, sometimes we don't remember this until a crisis comes. So, so, until things start to fall apart in your life. And then all of a sudden, the spiritual momentum stops and it feels like you're in a dry spell and you're trying to figure out what has happened. And you look up and ask yourself, Well, when was the last time? filling the place. See, commitment is what helps us to keep at it all by the spirit but i don't have no apology for us today if this feels like i'm talking about what you need to do like i know for a fact that god's grace and his holy spirit is like what carries us but the reality is you and i we know we got choices and we know we have to make commitments and we have to keep them decisions are made in a moment but for real-time momentum to grow that's gonna come from a daily commitment your commitment is actually tied to your momentum, right? That just means that you have as much momentum spiritually as you have commitment. It's true, right? Here's the thing. We're going to be fasting this year as a church. I'm going to call us to fasting during the period of Lent. And before I even get into those details, in fact, you'll hear about all that with the gospel community over the next month or so. Lent starts February 22nd. You got time, okay? But here's what I want to confess, Last year, coming into 2021, our leadership community met together. We began a fast together for about a month. And here's what a lot of us had to look at each other and say and confess. I've never fasted in my life. Leaders, hey, I haven't fasted in a long time. Right? We had to actually be honest about that. And I think you, want, you need to hear from me, there's no shame in that and there's no guilt. There's actually only beauty. Because that means that here we are, we get an opportunity to spiritually grow and catch up with the momentum of the progress, right, in the Lord. These same leaders would testify to you about experiencing renewal and breakthrough in their own individual lives and families and the things that we were praying for. You know what that, well, here's the deal. You know what we can't do? We cannot win tomorrow's victories based on yesterday's commitment. We need to depend on the power of God today and every day, right? So we're talking about commitment, and you'll hear more about that in the gospel communities. As a church, here we got an opportunity to fast during Lent from about February 22nd to April the 6th. But speaking of gospel communities, there's another bit of momentum that we're (coughs) experiencing, and I want us to maintain as a church. In our gospel communities, this is where the spiritual momentum, I think, is very evident, but at the same time, there is social momentum their social momentum. From the beginning, God uh, has given his people the most momentum. They've experienced the most momentum when they were all together, which is why Luke has written to us up to this point over and over and over, and they held all things in common, and they were of one mind, and they were all together. We, We probably need to have something recalibrated because we think of our relationship with Jesus as a personal relationship. But the truth is, it's like he's building a body that we're supposed to be a part of. And we have been seeing amazing things happen in the gospel communities. God continues to do amazing things through the gospel communities. And even though time wouldn't allow us to testify to it all, I just want to tell you, we are seeing the glory of God house to house in our gospel communities. And we are not getting ready to move or shift back from that. If we're going to maintain or even pick up speed here we need everyone in our church I'm gonna start over on that if we're going to maintain or even pick up speed here we need everyone in our church to commit to gospel communities in a way that that you participate and you contribute in a meaningful way and you know it's low-hanging fruit for that right Bring them cookies every week. (laughs) Like, like we're not asking you to do something special, you know, super special, but participate and contribute in a meaningful way in gospel communities and strive, strive, strive to be consistent there. Mechanically speaking, momentum is the product of the mass and velocity of an object. See, that's what Al was thinking. That's the answer he was looking for. He said, that's the definition, right? Okay, so (laughs) here, here we go. Momentum is the mass and the velocity of an object. Now, If I was to roll a beach ball down the hill at you, you probably wouldn't even flinch. If I rolled a cinder block the same size down that hill, what would you do? You'd probably get out of the way, right? Okay. (laughs) The heavier the object, right? The heavier the object, the more weight that it has, the greater the momentum is, and the more unstoppable it will be. Follow me, friends. You know what the Hebrew word for glory is? It's heaviness. It's weightiness. I'm saying we're experiencing the glory of God in our gospel communities. And we're inviting all of us to pitch our weight in with where we see God leaning in. When we do that, we can watch the momentum grow. Read the book of Acts. I would say you can set your watch by it. I'm not telling you we become a megachurch. I'm not even necessarily talking right now about numerical growth. This is still about our spiritual maturity you want to grow? Gospel communities is the answer to that. It's going to happen as we shift our priorities. So choices, commitments, and now we're talking priorities. Our priorities also drive our momentum. I think it's safe to say you're living right now exactly what your priorities are. I am living right now exactly what my priorities are. And this includes my church experience. So if I would say, it's just so hard to get involved or just still so whatever that is, I would have I would have to say maybe I could check my priorities. What are the, what are the things that I could deeper commit to and like reset that I might experience some spiritual growth in relationship to my involvement with the church? Whenever you want to keep up momentum and maturity and see it increase, all you have to do is make sure that the priorities you have for your life are God priorities. I'm not over-spiritualizing anything right now. You want to grow spiritually, do what God has called us to do. So this this kind of puts some brass tacks on that idea of like, well, yeah, there's no such thing as a long-ranging Christian. Why? Because the Bible says that he ransomed a people, a people, from among all people, to become a holy priesthood. Right? And you can't do that by yourself. He says that we are the body of Christ. And he even says the leg cannot say to the arm, I don't need you. Let's make our priorities God's priorities and hear me when I say that gospel communities are a God priority. If anyone can show me that gospel communities would not be a priority to God, we'll cancel them tonight. If you can see the glory of God in the growth of your brothers and sisters who are constantly testifying to their participation in gospel communities and their contribution, then I would ask you, do you want to experience it? And if the answer is yes, I would say prioritize gathering with the church and contri- uh, contributing to the church house to house in gospel communities. That's, that's the vision I, I, I desire for us, and I, it's not just me, all of our leaders, and I, I hope uh, you share the same. If you want to increase your social momentum, you can also start with the priority of serving. When you're stuck in momentum, it's really easy to just duck out of responsibilities. So whenever I have experienced a spiritual kind of lethargy or like I'm not really growing or whatnot, oh, I I don't want to do nothing. I don't want to show up early. I don't want to be the last one there. Don't ask me to bring nothing. Don't right? It's really easy. So if you find that, then this is God's invitation to us at the top of the year to say, hey, we can recalibrate. There's grace for us. And the 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 easiest way for you to get back to a place where you're spiritually growing is to start serving. Okay? Serving other people. Serving is not beneath you. Serving your church, which I'm not talking about a building right now. Serving your brothers and sisters, the family that we are as a church, serving us, them, we, is not a waste of your time. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And Carlos asked us to memorize the rest of that when he preached that to us last year, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The greatest way you can stop your spiritual momentum is to become self serving to not think about how to give your time, talent, and treasure away, but how to preserve it for yourself. That kills momentum. The surest way to kill momentum is to become a person who's content with just, I'm not trying to serve at all. First Sundays are another easy place to serve. You know that. If you like First Sundays, find somebody that you know who's actively working and say, hey, can I join you next month? And people will bring you right into that. If you think first Sundays suck and they can be improved, I agree, and <laughs> I promise you you're part of the solution, right? So here's the thing: you can jump in with us. You can give. You can contribute to how we would uh, do better at X, Y, Z. But I just I promise you're part of the solution, right? But the thing is, is it's a priority for us, and all of us contributing as we stack hands more and more, it's just gonna get better and better. That's the way it works. All right. Uh, servanthood doesn't stop with the internal affairs of the church. Um, I know I'm going long, a couple more minutes here. What we learn from the life of Jesus and the early church, we look at the book of Acts is that they were intentionally missional as well. So social momentum, spiritual momentum is one thing, but the missional momentum, right? The missional uh, aspect is something that uh, we learn from Jesus. He intentionally went to those who were in need around him. Intentionally, the disciples, the apostles, the early church, they intentionally served the least, the last, and the lost. They went to the margins with this, like, on purpose thing. Missional living is intentional, just like spiritual momentum and social momentum. Missional momentum has to be maintained, it doesn't just happen, friends. I sincerely hope that you are on mission wherever you are. I'm on mission in my neighborhood. I'm on, uh, on mission at the coffee shop, in the grocery store, in my family, in my DMs. Like, I, I get it, right? So we, we understand. We're not saying everybody has to necessarily do one or specific thing. I hope that that is your commitment everywhere you are, especially where you live. But this, and I'm, I'm talking social location now, this place is our missional outpost as a church. The Freedom House was given to us as mission ammunition. That's why, that's the what. The Freedom House is mission ammunition. This We use this place not to build a sanctuary for ourselves. This is an opportunity for us to engage with those who we see. God has called us to. There's missional momentum that's flowing out of this place. You would have to close your eyes not to see it. There is missional momentum that is flowing out of here, and it's rich. And God has given us a vision, long-term vision, for a church in Ventura that is a unified church that is for the avenue. That means that people from every side of the city care about the people and the progress and the problems of the west side. They care about what's happening here. They care about trusting God to transform and to restore it. Not with gentrification, but with the gospel. That is the vision of our church moving forward and, and forevermore. And it's a long-term vision. We don't even think that we need to go out and start flyering the neighborhood every single day in order to make something happen. The reality is, is it's a long-term, long-standing commitment. And friends, herein lies the tension. I know that this has been the hardest thing, one of the hardest things for some of us to grasp. I'm very well a- aware of that. But believe me, It's not as simple as walking and chewing gum, but it's not rocket science either. Pam told me by her life last year that you can live all the way out in Oxnard and be about the progress of the gospel on Allah. You can live wherever you want and you should continue to be there and also care about the people who are next door to you, but at the same time, This is our collective opportunity to engage the margins together. That's why we're here. And the invitation is for everybody. Can you trust the vision of your leaders? Can you work towards seeing that vision come to be, even if it isn't quite as clear to you? I told you guys that uh, many, many times. Man. I have vision for the next five years, but it's hard to figure out what to do tomorrow. The thing about vision is that, it's, that that's the tough part, especially when God gives you vision. I remember when Matt, man, this became something of we'll a connection between the two of us today. I remember when Matt, correct me if I'm wrong, he'll tell you guys, we stood outside on Johnson. We are at, we're seed, we're moving out of that building and we were giving everything away. We had a U-Haul truck and because of the U-Haul truck, it sparked conversation about what he was doing. And he was talking about this thing and the way he described it really sounded the same at the same at at that time to me. And I was just like, wow, I was just like, y'all, I was asking all these questions. And I just remember saying, man, that's like a q-tip. Like, remember, I didn't say cotton swab. Q-tip. Okay? That is a rubber band idea. I didn't say elastic band. I'm talking, that is something that is so household that it will go. And I've seen God carry it by success. And it was somewhat conceptual at that time. I mean, his phone did buzz and he drove down to Anaheim to get something in that moment. But I'm talking about from 20, what, 18, I think that was, 2017, somewhere around there, from that time to where it is, it was, he had a vision of something and it really didn't make too much sense. Now, if you go into the office downtown and you know that there's 70 or so employees nationwide and 2 million drivers everywhere, it's like, oh man, that's, it was just him and a couple of his homies. I'm telling you, God has given us a vision, and I'm telling you, and I'm going to keep reiterating you can reach all of Ventura from, or you, <laughs> how do I say it? You can reach the whole Ventura from the Avenue, but you have a hard time reaching the Avenue from anywhere else in Ventura. That's why God gave us mission ammunition to incarnate the gospel and have a presence here. And we're inviting you to be a part of the missional momentum that is clear. When I ask the question, can you work toward the vision, even if it isn't clear to you yet, as God is my witness, all of your leaders, we want to help you say yes to that. This ain't a breakup. This is not about you saying, oh, that was not me. I'm out of here. No, that's not what this is. We want to invite you into it. We want to show you how. We want to walk with you so that you'll be able to say yes to making choices and commitments and the priorities, reorganizing some priorities so that you can cast your time, talent, and treasure in with us to see that come about. Momentum's never an accident. It's maintained by our choices, our commitments, and priorities. And the question we should be asking in the midst of all of this, it's great to have some practical, like, okay, I've heard a little bit of vision. I know where we're going, I, you know, some of that. Or maybe I don't know still, whatever. But the, the question we should always be asking when we stand in this moment is, what is God showing us? If you look back to Acts chapter 5, verse 42, what major choice did the apostles make? When you look back there, what was their major commitment? What was their priority? It says, and every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and proclaiming or preaching that the Christ is Jesus. They made a choice to obey God and to obey the calling that no matter what, we must obey God by proclaiming and teaching that Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior of the world we had a big idea it is somewhat of a repeat from what i said earlier god is accomplishing his unstoppable mission in the world through christ's kingdom but here's the thing he's calling us he's calling you to find our place in it don't see yourself as a consumer or someone who's just passively experiencing some good things at a time and this is fun and you know the breakfast burritos and whatever like fast and furious is my favorite movie like I remember when he came, he's like, why are you here? He's trying to do the, the sister, and he's like, I like the tuna. He's like, nobody likes the tuna here." I know you don't like this. <laughs> this is not like the, there's some, there's some churches around here with smoking lights and all kinds of great stuff. I know it cannot be about the fun, <laughs> right? But if you see the spiritual, the social, the missional momentum, and you want to grow, and you want to cast your lot in with us, the invitation is find your place in it.